This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Several years ago, we interviewed Reverend James Martin of the Society of Jesus about his book, A Jesuit Off-Broadway. That was uh, quite a few years ago, and I've been keeping track of uh, Father Martin's writings all throughout these years. And sometime last year, I received a copy of his latest book, Building a Bridge, How the Catholic Church and the LGBT Community Can Enter into a Relationship of Respect, Compassion, and Sensitivity. I received it from Harper One, the publisher itself, and I wanted to arrange an interview, but it turns out that by the time I contacted them, Father Martin was engaged in other things and couldn't do it. Well, after that seems that much of the Catholic community and probably other parts of the, the uh, greater Christian community as well just exploded with uh, criticism, criticism towards this book. And I thought, you know, maybe, just maybe, Father Martin would like to respond to the response of his book. So I contacted him directly, and he was ever so kind to uh, uh, assess, uh, or agree, rather, to be on our program today to talk about the book and the response to the book, and maybe a response to the response to the response of the book. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, Father Martin. As I mentioned, he is a Jesuit. He is the editor-at-large of America Magazine, consultor to the Vatican's Secretariat for Communication, and also best-selling author. Besides the book I mentioned, he's written Seven Last Words, The Abbey, Jesus, A Pilgrimage, The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything, and Between Heaven and Mirth. Father Martin has written for many publications, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and he is a regular commentator in the national and international media. He's appeared on all major radio and television networks and in venues ranging from NPR's Fresh Air to Fox's Fox and Friends and PBS's NewsHour, to Comedy Central's The Colbert Report. Before entering the Jesuits in 1988, Father Martin graduated from the Wharton School of Business and worked for General Electric for six years. He's also known as Sick, Wicked, a Filthy Liar, the Smoke of Satan, and Heretic on the Fast Track to Eternal Damnation. So we're very thrilled to get him before his eternal damnation. We want to welcome to Common Threads, Father James Martin. Hello, sir. Hey, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you so much. So, wow, you, uh, you've had an interesting few months of your life uh, uh, recently, much of which involved not doing a whole lot because uh, several of your speaking engagements had been canceled. What what has life been like uh, uh, <laughs> since uh, the uh, the publication of Building a Bridge and uh, the ensuing uh, concern? Well, that's I would say just part of it. Uh, you know, I've had four talks canceled, I think, but I've also given probably about fifty talks. You know, in the meantime, uh, the overwhelming majority of people 
who have read the book have really been grateful for it, and you know, particularly LGBT um, Catholics and their families and friends. And you know, really, I would say 99% of the Catholic faithful. So it's really a bunch of um, online self-appointed orthodoxy police slash hate groups and homophobic uh, websites, you know, of which there are quite a few, who have really ginned up these protests. So overall, my life has been pretty great. I mean, it's been very moving to meet LGBT people and hear their stories. And I was just a few weeks ago uh, with a group of LGBT students from Jesuit uh, colleges and universities who are meeting in Baltimore. And, you know, it's just very moving to be with them. So my life's been great. I mean, the pushback has been odd, and it was surprising, but it comes with the territory. I mean, you know, Jesus was opposed, so... You know, why wouldn't I be opposed? And I'm much less than Jesus. So if, uh, you know, if we're supposed to follow in his footsteps, um, you know, blessed are those who are persecuted. So, you know, I, I'm not surprised by it. And have you ever had anything like this before? I mean, you are a Jesuit. <laughs> so so I'm, I know that uh, uh, members of the Society of Jesus are often a little bit out front of the rest of perhaps the clergy and the laity, uh, uh, they have been on a number of issues over the years. So, so I'm I'm suspecting you're not a stranger to this kind of blowback. Well, I'm a stranger to this kind of blowback. I mean, the there are a couple websites uh, that, uh, and I'm not kidding. Literally every day have a new article about me, a video, a protest. Uh, it's a little extreme. My other books, I had a book on Jesus, which, you know, was very well received and, you know, is a, you know, New York Times bestseller and all that and Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything. And no, nothing, there there weren't protests. But the irony is that this book, uh, which has the official approval of my Jesuit superiors, it's been endorsed by, I just got the new paperback copy, you know, three cardinals, three archbishops, three bishops, and is based on the Gospels, uh, is pretty mild. Uh... Most of the people that are critiquing it have not read it. And a few months ago, there was an archbishop who um, devoted his column in his Catholic newspaper to the article, to the book. And halfway through the article, he said, "I admit I haven't read it." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, "Well, all right. Well, then how how seriously am I supposed to take that review?" So I, I usually suggest people read the book. Yeah, we we had a big dust up here. Oh gosh, it was well over a decade ago, um, and we had the uh, oh what was the, the the name of the play that was here in Grand Rapids? Uh come on, it's the one. Oh, Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> And uh, it was interesting because m- much of the um, much of the protest came from people who didn't even read it. Although right. I maintain, after let, let alone see it, yeah, yeah, because I I personally believe that you really had to see it to critique it and not just read it. Of course, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had we had uh, uh, some some clergy at a talk back afterwards. And uh, I remember a couple of them saying that they they read the play before they came to see it, and they they were actually a little bit nervous because they didn't quite know how they would be able to respond because of of how they read it. And when they saw it, they go, "Oh, okay, that's what he's trying to say." 
and mm. uh, then then they could be fully supportive of it. So, um, yeah. It, it, let me ask you this: how how does how did this happen in terms of how did you get disinvited from Catholic University of America? Uh, what kind of well, machine is at work there? Well, uh, there are some, as I said, online far-right orthodoxy police websites. Uh, there's one called Church Militant. There's one called LifeSite News. There's one called, if you can believe it, Tradition, Family, and Property. And they uh, got it in their heads that my talks, uh, which, by the way, were on Jesus, they were not on LGBT Catholics. I had a few few talks coming up. One was at Theological College, which was a seminary at Catholic University of America. And they basically whipped up people online by saying, here's this terrible heretic, which is false, uh, who's coming to speak at Theological College. Call Theological College and deluge them with phone calls. So they were you know, deluged with phone calls, and they decided it would be better to cancel it. Um, you know, but I told them, and you know, this is all public. It's not secret. You know, I said if you cancel it, it's you know, if if you if you have protests, there's going to be five people praying the rosary outside, right? If you cancel it, it's going to be much worse for you. And sure enough, they canceled it, and it was in the New York Times, and they had to backtrack. And Catholic University of America apologized, uh, and Theological College, you know, looked like they were caving to bullies. And, you know, recently uh, I gave a talk at, um, in New Jersey that was canceled at a, p- a parish, this group of parishes, and the same thing happened. You know, they decided to cancel it because they were afraid. That's, that's the idea. They were afraid of protests. It's not that they themselves think that I am somehow, you know, out of bounds. It's they're afraid. And, you know, my line is, you know, in the New Testament, uh, we hear perfect love drives out fear. I'm sure you know that line, right? Mm-hmm. Well, perfect fear drives out love. And so when people are afraid of whatever, usually protests or something, they act irrationally. So that's what happens. And, um, you know, as I said, what's worse for the organization is when they cancel it because they look terrible. Certainly. And people are more angry at the cancellation. And usually, what happens is you get a, a huge crowd at the you know the next talk. Right, right. So of in, in the end, it works against you know the, the designs of some of these websites. The day, the, the week that that cancellation happened, uh, my book sales tripled. I was going to ask about that. I thought that this would probably be really good for you uh, from from that line of thinking. Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, on the one hand, it's good for, you know, selling books and people read it. On the other hand, you know, frankly, it's not, it doesn't bother me interiorly, but, you know, it is not helpful for my ministry as a priest or as a Jesuit that, you know, Catholics now think that I'm a heretic, which is false. You know, it's a specific charge. And, you know, heresy doesn't mean I just, I don't, you know, you can't say you're a heretic just because you don't like what I've written. Uh, you know, the book is, you know, it's based on the Gospels. It's basically saying we need to respect LGBT people. Right. So where does this all come from? It basically comes from homophobia and hatred. You know, it's it's all, it's hatred. That We have to be really clear about where this is coming from. So, so let me ask you this. How would you grade the Catholic Church's first 2,000 years of treating people who would be classified as LGBT? D. Okay. 
And and the reasons for that? Uh, hate, homophobia, uh, misunderstanding, prejudice, um, and you know scapegoating. I mean, I I think I'd also treat I you know, but the church is not alone. You know, I would say society also treated people like that. So you know, you have imagine fifty years ago you know, saying I'm gay or I'm a lesbian. I mean, you know, unthinkable. Oh, absolutely. The way that people were treated and, you know, beaten up. And, you know, still today there are um, 70 countries where you can be jailed for being uh, LGBT, right? Some countries you can be executed. So, you know, it's it's not, and, and, you know, LGBT people are the victims of proportionally more hate crimes in the United States than any other group. So it's still going on. Uh, the, the church often reflects society, but I think the problem is that when it, it, it comes to religion, people think they have God on their side for being hateful, right? I mean, they take a few lines out of the Catechism or the Gospels or the Old Testament, you know, even worse in terms of, like, contextualizing things, and they they use that. You know, forgetting the the call of Jesus to us to love people and welcome them and not to judge them. If you're just so joining us, uh, go ahead. Me? No, no, go right ahead. So I'll read something from my book. Yes. Uh, in many parts of the world, LGBT persons are liable to experience appalling incidents of prejudice, violence, and murder. Roundups of LGBT people happen regularly in countries like Indonesia, Egypt, Azerbaijan, and Chechnya. In some countries, a person can be jailed or executed for being gay or having same-sex relations. As of this writing, engaging in same-sex relations is a crime in 70 countries, and simply being gay is punishable by death in 13 countries. So this is, a, this is, this is the world in which we live, and this is the world in which the Church needs to finally stand up for these people. And I'm not saying anything about same-sex marriage or anything like that. I'm just saying, you know, respect and love and stand up for these poor people. But even that is too much for people. Even that if you're whips just, up this hatred. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads on WGVU-FM. I'm Fred Stella, and with me today is Father James Martin, and he is the author of Building a Bridge, How the Catholic Church and LGBT Community Can Enter into a Relationship of Respect, Compassion, and Sensitivity recently released in paperback. So, so Father, your, the, the premise of this book, we have to be very clear about this now, you're not talking about gay marriage, you're not talking about uh, attempting to completely rewrite all of the, the dogma or doctrine on how homosexuality should be viewed from a, a moral or spiritual standpoint. You're, That's correct. Okay, you're, you're, you're talking about entering into conversation and uh, uh, developing mutual respect. That's correct. Yeah, okay. so I'm starting from the Gospels, you know, where Jesus reaches out to the people who, who in his time felt the most marginalized, right? Those were people that, who were sick, lepers, uh, tax collectors, prostitutes, uh, Roman centurions, so, you know, I'm not... I'm not saying that LGBT people are any more sinful than anyone else, you know, because a lot of these people are, were considered in Jesus' time sinful. 
The point is that they felt like they were on the margins. And what Jesus does is reach out first to people on the margins. That's the first thing. So it's firmly rooted in the Gospels. And, you know, simply loving people is is an important part of the Gospels. Uh, Second, the Catechism of the Catholic Church asks us to treat them with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. That's right from the Catechism. And basically all I do is, as you say, I don't talk about same-sex marriage or anything like that. I say let's unpack what it would mean to respect them, be compassionate, and be sensitive. And it's very simple things, as you mentioned, you know, listening to them. But even that freaks people out. Even that is seen as beyond the pale. And so, frankly, um, you know, when I hear or see these websites saying these crazy things, I just, you know, I, I kind of ignore it. Because if you're going to tell me that I can't even listen to someone, you know, I mean, what's the point? So that that kind of opposition doesn't really deter me, I'm, nor should it deter anybody. I'm, I'm curious, have any, has any of these websites attempted to engage you in any sort of dialogue? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, the answer is no. Uh, there have been, you know, uh, some critics of the book. First of all, the book's... As I said, it's been endorsed by, okay, Cardinal Joseph Tobin, Archbishop of Newark, Cardinal Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago, Cardinal Kevin Farrell, Prefect of the Vatican's Dicastery for Vatican uh, for Laity, Family, and Life, uh, Bishop McElroy of San Diego, Archbishop Wester of Santa Fe, you know, on and on and on. So, you know, there have been many, uh, you know, positive reviews. And the critical reviews that have been thoughtful, you know, I mean, it's a book, right? I mean, it's, gonna, it's, it's supposed to be starting a dialogue and a conversation. I was happy to respond to, you know, like, oh, I have a question about this, or what did you mean by that, or I think this part is weak. Uh, and in the paperback, I answer some of those um, critics and also, I think, you know, improve the book. But then there are people who just say, you're going to hell, you're a heretic, you're the smoke of Satan, you're a sodomite, you're a homosexualist. You're a pansy. I will, you know, sort of spare you some of the other words that I've been called. You know, and those people—they're not—they're not interested in entering into dialogue. They're interested in just condemning me. So I've tried to reach out to them to no avail. And after a while, you know, as Jesus said, as if they're not going to listen to you, shake the dust off your feet and move on. So it's you kind of a fool's errand. You have tried to reach out to them. Yeah. Oh. Early on. Mm. I'm curious. Uh, how has EWTN treated you, if they've treated you in any way whatsoever? Uh, uh, I don't know on this topic. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they've even talked about the book. So, mm, okay. I, I, to be honest, I, I, the answer is I don't know. Okay, okay. Uh, when you, when we had you on many years ago talking about uh, the book A Jesuit Off-Broadway, Mm-hmm. I'm just curious if that experience in New York theater brought you any closer to the LGBT community than you might have been before, or... Well, that's an interesting question. Not really. It's basically just uh, living in New York and ministering to LGBT people, especially, you know, young people, uh, students, you know, people in their 20s and 30s trying to navigate their place in the church. And one of the reasons I wrote this book was because there is this great divide. That's the image of the book, Building a Bridge. It is between the LGBT Catholic community and the institutional church, so bishops and decision makers. 
and many LGBT Catholics, uh, you know, feel so left out, and also many bishops and priests don't know many LGBT people. So it's a, it's a kind of like let's just come together and dialogue. And that the book is really about dialogue, and then the second part of the book is about prayer. And I should mention that fully half of the book is about prayer. You know. Um, Bible passages and reflection questions that sort of talk about Jesus reaching out to the marginalized. And one of the ironies is that none of these websites engage the prayer, which is quite interesting. Mm. So none of them, it's all about the, the how terrible dialogue is. It's been really fascinating. And I'm not sure why that is. I, I'm, I'm sort of curious if it's that they don't think LGBT people have a right to pray or they don't want to know what they're praying or they feel like if they... Talk, you know, accept the idea that you know God or the Holy Spirit might be telling us something new in prayer about LGBT people. But it's been fascinating. It's it's as if the second part of the book doesn't exist. My image to someone was like it's like reviewing War and Peace without talking about peace. Let me ask you this: the the Church, of course, encourages uh, its members to support certain social political movements without of course, uh, um, indicating any specific support for a, a particular candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for instance, uh, people who are labeled pro-life, uh, politicians mm-hmm. who are labeled pro-life, the Church encourages people to, quote, vote pro-life, unquote. Mm-hmm. Is it is it possible—let's uh, move this to the uh, LGBT issue. Uh, let's say there are two candidates, one— is very angry that uh, we have um, marriage equality in the country, and his mm-hmm. states states that uh, he um, will, it will will do anything he can to abolish that. And the other one says, "No, we're we're fine with with uh, marriage equality." So, as a Catholic voter, can can he or she vote for the more liberal one while yet maintaining the understanding of the Church on on the moral implications of homosexual behavior. Do you follow what I'm saying? But- yeah, that's a great question. And the answer is we're not single-issue voters. That's the answer. So, you know, no one candidate is going to fully sum up Catholic teaching, right? Mm-hmm. So no one candidate, uh, you know, there, there's no candidate, at least that I've heard of, that is, you know, pro-life in terms of being against abortion and pro-social justice in terms of being in favor of migrants and refugees and, and, the, and the environment and, you know, the whole constellation of things that the Catholic Church is talking about. Abortion is not the only issue, and nor is same-sex marriage. And so to tell someone that, you know, this is the one issue is really to go against Catholic social teaching, which is to say it is much more complex than that. So unfortunately, a lot of Catholic leaders have almost tipped their hands and said the only person you can vote for morally is this person, which is also, you know, kind of trespassing against the person's conscience. I mean, the Church is supposed to, as the Pope has said, form consciences, not dictate them, because otherwise you're a robot. Uh, and so it's up to each Catholic to determine in his or her own conscience, you know, who, who expresses best those values, you know. But yeah, unfortunately, it has seemed that the only thing that the Church has been interested in are abortion and same-sex marriage, which is, you know, you, know, you have to say, what about the poor? So, so right? what, about... what about what? And also, I, I, as I point out in the book, you know, LGBT people 
uh, are five times more likely as youth to commit suicide, right? So it's a life issue, too. So what the question about... question is, which lives matter? Right, right. So what about those examples? I, and I haven't heard about this lately, but I, I know in the last few years, where... Um, bishops question whether or not a particular politician should be able to receive communion if that politician is catholic you know if if yeah, that I, if if that if that politician doesn't support 100% catholic the so-called catholic viewpoint on this well which which politician does i mean you know laudato si is an encyclical that's the one on the environment and encyclical is one of the highest levels of of catholic teaching period it just is okay now, if you don't if you don't believe that keeping the environment safe is important, and you are you know someone who consistently votes against that, should you also have communion withdrawn from you? I've never heard communion, of a bishop say it, that. <laughs> no, of course not, because that most bishops are focused on one particular issue, and we don't hear bishops say that because there's been this focus on you know abortion is a very important topic, and I am pro-life myself, right? But it is not the only topic. And also, the Eucharist is not a weapon. The Eucharist should not be used as a weapon, and certainly not a political weapon. You know, as, as Pope Francis says, it is, it is medicine for the sick. It's not a reward for the perfect. Speaking of uh, uh, Pope Francis, I'm assuming you find yourself in good company because he has been uh, uh, criticized for pretty much the same thing you're being criticized for. Well, a lot of people have said that the reason they're criticizing me is because they can't criticize Pope Francis directly. <laughs> uh, he has, I mean, not not exactly the same thing. I mean, he, he hasn't said, he's been quite positive about LGBT people. His five most famous words are, who am I to judge? Yes. Uh, but there's a document that has come out recently called Amoris Laetitia, which is a, the joy of love about family and sexuality. And that's really stirred up a lot of controversy. And he has said more or less, I mean, I would say I have said more or less the same thing that he has said, which is that we need to meet people where they are and listen to them. And that's very dangerous for people who think that rules are the only way to move ahead. But when you look at Jesus in the Gospels, it's not as if he's saying rules are unimportant, but he does say they need to be put in perspective. And he regularly sets them aside in terms of dietary laws and, you know, eating grain and when to heal people and who to speak with, and he just does. And I, I think it's pretty obvious which side he falls on these kinds of questions. Father Martin, we are uh, down to the wire for this edition of Common Threads, but we'd love to have you back next week and continue this. I'd be happy to. You've been listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. I'm Fred Stella, and with me today was Father James Martin talking about his book, Building a Bridge, How the Catholic Church and the LGBT Community can enter into a relationship of respect, compassion, and sensitivity. Please join us again next week for Common Threads on WGVU. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. 
Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Last week, we began our conversation with Father James Martin. He's the author of Building a Bridge, How the Catholic Church and LGBT Community Can Enter into a Relationship of Respect, Compassion, and Sensitivity. It has just been released in paperback version. A little bit about uh, Father Martin. Uh, as a Jesuit priest, he's editor-at-large of America magazine. He's consultor to the Vatican's Secretariat for Communication and best-selling author of Seven Last Words, The Abbey, Jesus, A Pilgrimage, The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything, and Between Heaven and Mirth. Father Martin has written for many publications, including the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, and is a regular commentator in the national and international media. He's appeared on all the major radio and television networks and venues ranging from NPR's Fresh Air to Fox and & Friends and PBS's NewsHour and Comedy Central's The Colbert Report. Before entering the Jesuits in 1988, Father Martin graduated from the Wharton School of Business and worked for General Electric for six years. So we welcome once again to Common Threads, Father James Martin. Hello, sir. Hello, good to be with you again. Yes, so uh, last week, for people who may have missed, uh, missed that particular episode, we talked not only about the book, but the response to the book, which uh, from uh, a, a very small minority, but an extremely vocal minority of... Uh, uber-Orthodox Catholics, uh, you've received a tremendous amount of criticism. They've called you heretic. They've called you smoke. I, I, my, my favorite is smoke of Satan. I mean, I would, <laughs> I, I've never wanted a tattoo, but I, I, I don't know. I could be, <laughs> I could be convinced. Well, be careful. <laughs> if you write a controversial book, you might have that applied to you. <laughs> you know, w- one of the things you, you mentioned last week, the number of uh, uh, clergy, high-ranking clergy, we're talking bishops and cardinals, who have approved of this book, who've, who've spoken glowingly of it. I'm, I'm curious, why is there no imprimatur in this book? Is that, is that still a thing? Uh, I'm a member of a religious order, the Jesuits, and we have something called the imprimi potest, which is uh, basically the, what you get in a religious order, and that means let it be published. Uh, so the imprimi potest is from my religious superior, the provincial of the northeast province of the Society of Jesus in the United States. So I do have that. 
Uh, and Imprimatur is more for a kind of theology book, and this is not a theology book, but I have the official permission from my religious superior to publish, which is what I get as a member of a religious order. So the answer is it basically does have that. I see. Okay, thank you. Uh, so in your book, we, we talk about respect, compassion, and sensitivity here, and, and you talk about each and every one of them. So uh, first of all, when it comes to respect, what what do you see is the challenge for people who uh, they don't know anybody in the LGBT community? At least, at least they don't know that they know someone. They don't know somebody who is out to them, and they all of a sudden encounter someone. What's what's the first thing that has to happen for respect to to be engendered? That is a very good question. I think the first thing is to listen to them, to meet them where they are, as Jesus did with people, to treat them with dignity, uh, to listen to their experience, and to take them seriously, and not to think of them as sinful. You know, I always have uh, people say to me, what about hate the sin, love the sinner? And I thought, well, that's a hell of a way to approach somebody. You know, you're a sinner. I mean, everyone is a sinner, right? I mean, imagine if you said, I'm going to meet a group of um, college kids, right? And, you know, as we know, most college kids are sexually active, right? Many of them. You know, what advice would you have? And you would say to me, hate the sin, love the sinner. I mean, what, what is that? <laughs> what, you know, what about, hey, want to listen to what their challenges are and where they are and how they're struggling in their courses and maybe with their family and maybe with relationships? And the LGBT person is the only one to whom the label sinner is reflexively applied. So, so the most important thing to answer your question is just listen to them. And, and you just brought up something uh, interesting, too. Forget about the, the college kids for a moment. What about married Catholics whom you might assume are using artificial birth control? Wouldn't they be classified the same way as uh, people, someone who is gay? Correct. They, too, are going against church teaching. And that's one of the problematic things about all these firings that are going on um, of LGBT people who are not adhering to church teaching. We don't use the same litmus tests for straight people. So my favorite example is a, a couple, a young couple who might be living together before being married. Now, most people just think that's these days, oh, isn't that wonderful? You're getting married, how terrific. And, you know, of course, economically, it's hard for people to live separately. So they're together, and that's so beautiful. Well, that's against church teaching. I don't know of any organization that would fire that person, right? Um, and it's the same thing. We don't say, oh, hey, here's my, here's my cousin, and she's living with her fiancé. Oh, well, hate the sin, love the sinner. <laughs> it, it, the LGBT person, and why do we do that? Because we decide which ones, which people we're going to put under the microscope, and it's, it's discriminatory. So, so, yeah, so you're absolutely right. We have to treat these people um, like children of God, which is what they are. Actually, I, I, color me naive, I really thought that uh, two heterosexual people living together would get fired from a Catholic organization. That, that's not necessarily no. true? No, no. I mean, no. I... They would certainly no. You know, I mean, maybe if you trumpeted it and, you know, stood up and said, hey, I'm living with, you know, my boyfriend or something, but uh, not the way that LGBT people are treated, which is if there is even a picture on Facebook, it's reported 
you know, to the local authorities. There's a case of a, a man in Canada um, who had his personal life investigated over eight years, having, you know, letters sent to the archbishop, and he was presented with a file, you know, uh, before he was fired, but then said it's filled with, you know, accusations and testimonials about how you're gay and all that kind of stuff, but you can't read them. You know, it, it's like it's like the Stasi in East Germany, yeah. you know, McCarthyism. It's really, you know, so you don't, for example, you don't have a parish or a bishop investigating a young woman who is, who is uh, you know, living together with her fiancé, you know, taking pictures of her, looking at Facebook. It's, that simply doesn't happen because we're okay with that. And we've decided that, uh, you know, we understand that person in the complexity of their relationship. Maybe there's economic problems. Well, okay, they're, they're close to getting married. But the LGBT person is not afforded that compassion or respect or sensitivity. They're just not. And in the past, since 2010, I think 80 people have been fired from their jobs or had job offers rescinded because they're LGBT. Let's talk about uh, uh, clergy. I'm sure you know uh, men and uh, probably women religious uh, who are are gay. And uh, I, I understand that there is a movement to really restrict men and women from joining a religious order uh, who are gay, and, and that that wasn't uh, quite as true a few years ago. Am, am I reading this correct? correctly? Well, yes and no. Uh, there was a document that came out in, I think, 2005 um, from the Vatican that said that men with deep-seated homosexual tendencies could not be admitted to seminaries or, or ordained. Now, different bishops interpret that different ways. Some bishops say deep-seated means that's the most important thing in your life, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm gay first and foremost. Other bishops say that it means that, uh, you know, you, you can't live celibately. Other bishops say that it means what it says, which is, you know, if you're gay, you, you can't enter. So it really didn't change very much because the bishops who were allowing people in their seminaries who were gay, who could be celibate, you know, or religious orders who could be chaste, um, continued to do it. And I know probably hundreds of celibate gay priests and chaste members of women's and men's religious orders who are doing great work and, you know, live their vow of chastity and live their vow of celibacy. And so do most people in the United States in the Catholic Church. There was a a Father Greiton, I think, in Milwaukee that just came out with the approval of his archbishop, Archbishop Lestecki, you know, who's not, you know, who's a very traditional, uh, you know, an Orthodox Catholic archbishop. And everyone was delighted. Why? Why shouldn't he? He's he's living celibately. He's chaste. He's a good priest. What's the problem? So, but yes, there has been this document, but I don't think it's really changed a whole lot. Uh, even with uh, with Pope Francis, we talked about Pope Francis uh, last week. Uh, do we have any inkling about what he thinks about gay clergy? We do. Because he was asked directly, um, what do you think about gay clergy? And that was where his famous answer, who am I to judge, came up. People tend to forget that wasn't about LGBT people initially. It was about gay priests. And he said, if a man is seeking God sincerely, who am I to judge? The next day, they pressed him. And they said, well, you were only talking about gay priests. And he said, oh, actually, that applies to all gay people. So that's exactly what he thinks. Who am I to judge? You... you um Bring up one thing that you're not thrilled about in in terms of what is actually by the book uh, in Catholicism, and that is referring to homosexuality as a disorder. 
how, how can that be rectified? Well, that's a good question. I think we really need to look at the language that's used. I mean, our sexuality, in a sense, touches everything we do, right, including the way we love, even when the sexual expression of that love is not involved, right, or, or even contemplated. So to call a person's sexuality objectively disordered or intrinsically disordered is really to tell a person that all of his or her love, even the chaste love or the celibate love, is disordered. And for most people, that seems really cruel. Uh, revising that language has been discussed by several bishops. Uh, I quote a bishop from Australia that talks about it uh, in my book. But I think the most important thing is uh, a comment that a mother said to me. Um, she said she had a kid who was gay, a boy, and she came up to me and she said, do people understand what that kind of language could do to a 14-year-old boy? And you know what she said? Hmm. She said it could destroy him. So we need to pay attention to the language we use, too, you know? Oh, absolutely. Intrinsically and objectively disordered. That is really strong stuff. Now, you can say something like, I mean, you know, the, the Vatican could say, they could speak, they say differently ordered, right? Or they could, that's one one theologian suggested recently. Or, But, you know, to say that someone is objectively or intrinsically disordered in themselves is a great cruelty, I think. If you're just... you are a disordered you are a disordered person in yourself in the way that you love and that that's just really cruel so i I think we need to rethink um, the language that we're using as well if you're just joining us you're listening to common threads on wGVU FM I'm Fred Stella and with me today is father James Martin the author of building a bridge how the Catholic Church and the LGBT community can enter into a relationship of Respect, compassion, and sensitivity. I'm curious, uh, are you aware of how this subject is treated in other parts of the world? I'm, I'm guessing that in many parts of Europe, they, they're looking at us and they're saying, are you kidding me? And then I also uh, suspect that Africa, uh, the Catholic community in Africa, is saying, you're, you're wimping out on us. And it, do I have those stereotypes uh, too ingrained? Uh, wimping out in what sense? In terms of, no, 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 we have to be e- even more hardcore on people. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I think it depends on the country and the even sometimes the, the diocese or the bishop. But, uh, you know, Germany, for example, has been very forward-thinking about these things. Uh, France, England, uh, much more open at the synod of bishops on the family there was a car- the cardinal archbishop of vienna talked about same-sex marriages positively right i mean which was kind of almost unthinkable here in the united states and yes i mean i spent two years in sub-saharan africa in kenya so i know that part of the world fairly well even though it was uh, 20 years ago and i was told back then by several priests there are no homosexuals here really how, not, how, how not in they... the priesthood but just in oh. the country Wow, how did they do that? That does not exist. <laughs> so, so yeah, and, you know, in, in some places, uh, the church leaders have actually sided with some of these discriminatory laws about outlawing homosexuality. So they, we have the church, you know, and of course, so the Pope, when he speaks, has to recognize that he's speaking to the entire church, and so some parts need to be brought along a little more slowly, but that does not negate the need for prophecy. 
we should be we could we should still be prophetic particularly when it comes to life issues i.e. people being executed or beaten up i mean I, I don't care who you are or who you're attracted to no one deserves to be beaten up or executed yeah so and the church i think needs to really speak, you know where is the church in those countries in terms of these life issues and i think what we what we saw have seen in past decades is that there was sort of an, a silent permission. It, it, I think that if, uh, you, if you approached a priest in, say, 1965 and said, uh, you know, this guy down the street, Bobby, is, is gay and I, and I feel like beating him up, uh, the, the priest would probably say, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Um, but at the same time, there was this this blind eye towards uh, violence and disrespect towards people who were even not not necessarily gay but effeminate right right and you know and there's still this gross misunderstanding in many catholic priests i heard a story uh i didn't hear a story i spoke to the man who was a 30-year-old autistic man who came out as gay to his Family, And, you know, imagine how difficult that must have been, right? So he's 30 years old. He's not in a relationship, so therefore he's not doing anything wrong, right, Mm -hmm. according to the Church. He's just gay. His parish priest told him he could no longer receive communion in the Church in front of everybody because he was a scandal. So the parish priest said, if you wish, you you can receive communion privately with me in the rectory. And this is how long ago? Uh, uh, Last month. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So this is the kind of baloney, and I was going to use a worse word, that people have to put up with. I mean, that, that's, I hear these stories regularly. I, that, that, I, that's, that's, that's a month ago. Can you imagine? Yeah. And, and you know, and so people are, there's still this, and that, that's where respect comes in. That is done for no other reason other than the man is gay. That's it. He's not doing anything wrong. Aside from... Uh, minis- and, you know, I would say that's yeah. sinful. I think what that priest is doing is sinful. It's more than a scandal. To stand in the way of someone and God is a sin. You know, I tell in the, in the book the story of Zacchaeus. Remember in the Gospel of Luke? So Zacchaeus is a tax collector. and Oh, yes, yes. He's on the margins because he's seen as sinful, right? Mm-hmm. And Jesus comes in, and he cannot see Jesus because of the crowd. Now, you know, in the Gospels, he's short, but it's a great emblem for people preventing someone from getting to Jesus. And I often say to crowds, think of Zacchaeus as a, an emblem of the LGBT community. He gets up into a tree just so he can see Jesus because the Gospel says he wanted to see who Jesus was, like this young man. Jesus comes, and who does he call to? He calls to that man, the person who was seen as on the outs. He comes down from the tree, and my favorite line, and the crowd began to grumble. Mm. That's what they're doing now. You know, they don't like any mercy being extended to someone who is seen as on the margins. And that's what we see. Zacchaeus stands his ground, and he says, boy, if I've done anything wrong, I'm going to repay people. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. So, you know, for Jesus, and he, Jesus does not say one word about, you know, you're a tax collector, stop doing it. He just welcomes him. And whatever change in, in life that needs to happen for Zacchaeus happens naturally. But 
you know, this priest who is standing in the way of a, a young man and the Eucharist is like the crowd. He's preventing people from encountering Jesus. So I always say to crowds, where do you want to stand? you want to stand with Jesus or you want to stand with the crowd? Good point. Uh, tell us about any, any uh, opportunities you have when you are speaking to a primarily LGBT crowd. Uh, and one that has been one that has been hurt, or or the people within that crowd, perhaps many have been hurt. They they were raised Catholic or some other uh, form of Christianity, and they've been hurt, and they just want to they just want to protest what they have uh, been going through, and you perhaps might want to invite them back in. How how does that happen? Excellent question. Um, I was at a group recently at a parish in New York that has a vibrant LGBT outreach program. And I said, how many of you have felt wounded by the church? Every single person. There were 200 people in the room. Every single person raised their hand. You know? So one of the things to do is, first thing to do is to listen, of course, to what's their experience. The second thing to do is remind them, you're talking about bringing them back in. They're already in. I say, look, you're baptized. You are baptized. You have just as much a part of the church, you are just as much a part of the church, as Pope Francis, as the local bishop, as the pastor, as me. Period. So to kind of claim and name that sacramental grace of baptism. And then, you know, and then talk about ways that they um, can respond. Uh, You know, are there respectful ways that you can respond? Are there respectful ways to protest? Are there ways that will be really useful, right? Um, but I think really the onus is actually more on the institutional church, on the hierarchy, because, you know, a lot of uh, gay people have told me, which is really true, and I had to hear this because the first version of my book was a little soft-peddling some of the the sort of um, permissibility of protest, but a number of gay people have said to me, well, you're a priest, you have all sorts of access to bishops, right? Those avenues are not open to us, and so sometimes we feel the only avenue that's open is sort of, you know, respectful protest, so I'm... I'm more open to that now. I understand that a little better. What is a good way for that to happen? Envision, tell me how, how you envision right. respectful protests. Well, that's a, that's a very good question. Uh, I think, you know, the onus is on the, the bishops. So the bishops, I think, first of all, listening to them, listening sessions. Cardinal Supich of Chicago talked about having one. Listening sessions, getting to know them as friends, right? Being willing to be challenged. Uh, I think for... LGBT uh, theologians to write more about, you know, the place of the LGBT person in in the church. Uh, I think for people to not leave. You know, I know a lot of LGBT people. It's a hard question for me. It really is. This is probably the hardest is, you know, I feel like I want to leave the church or I want to go anymore. And I can understand that. But by the same token, I say, look, you are a part of the church. You know, don't let people kick you out. Right. It's your church. So there's a there's a in a sense there's a call for the for the individual LGBT Catholic to be in the church, and to respectfully and lovingly and prophetically speak truth to power. So it's a it's it's hard for it really it's a, it's a, it's very hard for them. I think things are changing though for the better. Frankly, Pope Francis has uh, himself his own words um, about LGBT people appointing. 
uh, more LGBT-friendly cardinals and archbishops and bishops. Uh, Cardinal Tobin of Newark had a welcoming mass for LGBT people in Newark, New Jersey, which was a big deal. Cardinal Supich in Chicago, as I said, talked about listening sessions. You know, Archbishop Lestecki in Wisconsin, you know, supported this uh, gay priest who came out, celibate gay priest. And then, of course, you have more and more people coming out, and therefore more and more families being affected and bringing that into the parishes. So I think things are actually changing for the better. And this pushback is kind of the last gasp of this homophobia in the church, I think. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, the chapter in your book uh, entitled, You Are Wonderfully Made, if you would. Yeah, uh, it's, um, it's part of the uh, section of the book, the second half, which is uh, Bible passages and invitation to reflecting on them. Uh, it's from my Jesuit spirituality, so what can these Bible passages tell us in prayer? And Wonderfully Made is uh, from Psalm 139, and in my experience it's been one of the most helpful passages. It's not a very well-known passage, but in Psalm 139, the, the psalmist talks about how God knows him or her, and the great line is, For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's just such a beautiful thing for people who have been told that they're crap or they're intrinsically disordered or they're objectively disordered or they're sinful just by being gay to read that and to hear you were made by God and you are wonderfully made I almost call the book wonderfully made um, but it's a great thing for people to read and it's true they are wonderfully made they're they're beautiful creations of God and we have to treat them like that we have to reverence like that so in the, the last few minutes that we have uh, together today here, Father, what's uh, on the immediate horizon for you? Uh, more uh, speaking opportunities, I'm assuming? Last week you mentioned you've, you've been speaking quite a bit, uh, even with the, the uh, gigs that did not go through because of uh, protest. Well, I have a lot of speaking engagements around the uh, the new revised and expanded edition of Building a Bridge on LGBT Catholics. Um, but then I'm turning back to uh, a book on prayer. So you know, this is not my only <laughs> this is not my only issue or my only uh, interest. And uh, I also give talks on Jesus and prayer. And so you know, uh, I will respond as needed to some of these issues as they come up. But I I'm also turning my attention to this uh, big, big book on prayer that I'm working on. And and you're also still the editor at large of America. I am. That is, that's right. That's my. <laughs> that's, that's a my little, little hobby so on the writing. side. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, writing is part of, and writing books uh, is part of my work here too. So that's, that's my, that's my nine to five job as a Jesuit. I see. And, and uh, what, how about your, your, your pastoral duties? For instance, how often do you say mass? Well, I go to mass every day. I say mass every few days uh, in my Jesuit community. And then on the weekends, I help out at a Jesuit parish, so I'm pretty busy. And then on top of that, I do confession, of course, and I do what's called spiritual direction, mm-hmm. you know, helping people with their spiritual lives. So there's the priestly part of my life as well, but it's all, it's all wrapped up in one. It's all part of my Jesuit vocation. Sure. And do you have a website? I do. Uh, there is uh, my Facebook page, Father James Martin S.J. for Society of Jesus, uh, my publisher set up a website for me called jamesmartinsj.com, and then I'm also on Twitter at jamesmartinsj and Instagram at jamesmartinsj. 
Wonderful. Well, well, Father, we appreciate so much the time you spent with us today and last week as well, and wish you the best of luck with uh, this uh, new and improved version of the book that's uh, just come out. My pleasure. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to Common Threads on WGVU. I'm Fred Stella, and with me today was Father James Martin, author of Building a Bridge, How the Catholic Church and the LGBT Community Can Enter into a Relationship of Respect, Compassion, and Sensitivity. Please join us again next week here on Common Threads. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads.